Hey everyone, my name is Jake, and welcome to the eighth episode of Good Timing. Uh, as always on this podcast, we're going to be talking all about one of our favorite bands, the Beach Boys. Uh, and I think today's episode is going to be a pretty interesting one because we have a pretty unique topic. Uh, we're going to be discussing some of the notable Beach Boys collaborators over the years. Uh, as I'm sure many of you listening know, the Beach Boys have worked with a number of different songwriters and lyricists since their founding, uh, specifically Brian. Uh, he collaborated with a lot of different people throughout the 60s, and that's the period that we're going to be mostly focusing on today. Uh, so we're going to be going through the collaborators in chronological order. So we'll start by covering some of Brian's early collaborators, such as Gary Usher and Roger Christian. Uh, and then we're going to just work our way through the mid-60s to his two most notable collaborators for a lot of people, which is Tony Asher and Van Dyke Parks. Uh, and of course, both of those guys worked on uh, some of the most notable and acclaimed Beach Boys albums with Pet Sounds and Smile. Uh, and then after we cover Van Dyke, we're going to take a break and then resume our discussion on a future episode where we will focus on the Beach Boys collaborators from around 1968-ish uh, to the present day. Uh, so this is going to be a two-part series, just like our live show discussion was, but I think that's going to allow us to go into more detail on each of the collaborators. So I think that's a good thing. Um, so joining me today for this episode, I have the usual gang of Riley, Justin, and Matt. Uh, so as always, I'm glad to have you guys here, and I'm looking forward to talking about all the different people who work with the Beach Boys over the years. So uh, I guess to start us off, Riley, do you kind of want to kick off the discussion and share some of Brian's very first collaborators from the band's early years? Yeah. So um, before Brian and the band signed with Capitol, they worked with uh, two people, I guess three, because there's Bruce Morgan up high and they're into Morgan. Um, and while they weren't deep collaborators like Gary Usher, Roger Christian, or Van Dyke or any of those guys, um, they were pretty integral to this, a lot of their early recordings. I mean, Brian wasn't quite the producer he grew into quite yet, and they recorded a lot of their stuff at the Morgan's home studios. So that's where they first recorded Surfing, but uh, the, a bunch of the other songs they recorded, Luau, Lavender, um, Barbie, and What a Young Girl Is Made Of, were all written by the Morgans. So I thought it'd be worth, it, thought it was worth the mention to give them credit because, I mean... I personally am a big fan of the song Lavender. I think it's a very beautiful song. The others I don't really care for, but I, I think those are some pretty cool tunes and there's a lot of cool stories behind them. So the Morgans are definitely worth a mention. Yep. And uh, so, yeah, that stuff. So I know Surfin' obviously was their first single. That was actually the Morgans actually pushed them to record that because if, if I'm not mistaken, I think they originally came, the five of them. They sang. I think they did maybe like some kind of doo-wop or Kingston trio thing. And basically they're like, oh, you know, you guys are great, but you need something that's going to set you guys apart. And then Dennis is like, oh, what about a song about surfing? And then uh, Hype Morgan's like, okay, you got me interested. So then they wrote that song, obviously. And I think the flip side was Luau. It which, was. That was the flip side, yeah, which I think that has the first Dennis vocal. And it's like, the, I think it's the girls will out hula, boys will all sing. That line, I think, is Dennis. Um, yeah, I like surfing. Luau's, it's I It's okay. Um, and then I know for Barbie and What Is a Young Girl, what it, what a young girl, what is a young girl made of? Those were actually recorded with it was Brian, I think Carl, Al, and Audrey Wilson. At least on Barbie, I think What Is a Young Girl Made of is just like nondescript session girls. They're doing the backing vocals, and that was originally released under the very rare 45 of Kenny and the Cadets, if I'm not mistaken. Mm -hmm. um, Barbie is timely, of course, because you know the whole Barbie movie and everything, and it's a big been a big culture phenomenon. That song's okay for me. Um, I do like hearing Audrey's voice. It's pretty nice. You can definitely see she had a lovely singing voice. But the song itself is okay. I do. I am quite a big fan of what is a young girl made of. It's. I love that teen pop kind of doo wop vibe. So that's pretty cool. And then as you mentioned, Lavender is a very pretty song. That was actually a song that I think Steve Hoffman kind of covered up uh, when he first 
reissued the stuff on CD because a lot of this stuff showed up on very piss poor quality compilations over the years. And I think Hoffman actually had to fight to get it on there. I think the Morgans just didn't want it on there, but uh, I'm glad we were able to get it out there. And it is a very pretty song. So that's all my my uh, take on all this. Yeah, I like I like Barbie quite a bit actually. I, I think it's a, a, a nice song, and I like Audrey's vocal on it. It's cool how you can hear her. I think there's another recording they did uh, that Audrey's on like in the late '60s too. It might have been like one of those uh, from like the 2020 sessions. She's on something, and she sounds really good on that too. So she had a really nice voice. Um, and yeah, I, I like the song. It's you know it's a pretty simple sounding song, but but I like it a lot. A lot. I think it's nice. Yeah. Jake, not Jake, Justin. <laughs> uh barbie and what is the young girl made of they're very of the time it's very like early 60s uh kind of like when fabian and freaky avalon were kind of like really popular um i see it exactly what they're what they were trying to go for when they were writing those songs um yeah so it's it was a beginning for uh for the band and uh they went on to greater things thereafter but uh this was the beginning kind of like the birth of the beach boys I, I love Lavender so much. I, I'm not going to lie. I played that a lot, and especially like at night when I'm in my car and just driving driving home. I, I played that a lot. It was their first acapella song. And I mean, I, I really I, like those, but I don't know what it is. That song is just has a timeless feel to it. It's very beautiful. And it was actually written by Dorinda Morgan. So I, I, I was kind of shocked at that because I, I really thought that was like a Brian, like for a freshman type thing. But no, but very, very beautiful song. I think it has uh, a, there's an innocence to it that I think yeah, is yeah. kind of like unmatched, I would say, you know, just how young they were and how kind of before fame and all that kind of corrupted them, if you will, <laughs> in a way. And all the drama and all the this and the fighting and the drugs and the alcohol and all that crap that came in, you know. Yeah, uh, Justin, you, you mentioned like how it has like that kind of like that Frankie Avalon sound. I know uh, Brian, there's an interview from the late 70s where Brian actually is talking about this this song. He's talking about Barbie and what is a young girl made of. And they're talking about yeah. with the interviewer how rare it how rare it is and how it was like worth a ton of money at the time. If anybody had it with like that Kenny the Cadet's name on it. Um, and Brian was kind of saying in the interview how like, yeah, he really liked artists like that, like Frankie Avalon. So you can definitely hear like the influence of that in, in that song. And he didn't even own a copy at the time either. I, I think I heard that interview. Yeah, yeah, he did say that. Yeah, he said he didn't even have it because the interviewer asked him and he said, he said, yeah, I don't have it. I haven't heard it in years, he said. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's quite a few like early Brian productions or stuff that are really rare. Like, I don't know if you guys have ever hunted down. I, I know it's on the internet somewhere like that Japanese gray market CD called like um, Still I Dream of You, like the rare works of Brian Wilson or something. It's out there. I actually have the flax. And some of those needle drops are really rough. <laughs> you could tell it's like it was like a really rough needle drop. Like um, uh, Barbie and was younger made were pretty rough. And then I know they have the Surfer Moon, the original version with um, Bob and Sherry. That was kind of rough. Sure. Clean version on YouTube. That sounds really good. And I think it was like the Locomotion with uh, Rachel and the Revolvers. So like a lot of those really early Brian productions are pretty rare. I don't know. Those tapes probably are long, long gone. So all that is yeah, left yeah. is like really rare 45s. I think it's pretty cool. I, they also did, they did, they, did, ugh, they did a recording of Surfer Girl that was really good. I, I mean, it has it's nowhere near the album version, but I think it's pretty cool because Brian often cites that as like the first real song he ever wrote, and um, I doubt he was talking about surfing Surfer Girls quite yet. But I mean, the melody definitely. Um, it's a, uh, it's on the song here, the Becoming the Beach Boys. It's on a lot of those like recording things. I think it's pretty good. I like the, 
the low I don't I don't want to say lo-fi cuz it's not really lo-fi but I like the less produced version of it but I I don't listen to it more than the album version. Twin track, it's twin track, so yeah, it's it's more primitive. Also there's an early version of Surf and Safari on there that I think was released on the Ariola label in Germany as a 45 if I'm not mistaken. That's a pretty funky version. I remember the first time I heard that was I have the Hoffman CD, so that's the first time I heard it. And then there's also Judy, which is really primitive. I can see why they never record. I can see why they never recorded that one again. It's not not much to write home about. But you know, it was one of Brian's early songs, so you know he's just getting. He was working out the kinks. Then there's Beach Boy Stomp. I think which is also known as Karate. Yeah, that that sucks. I love a lot of the surf instrumentals, but that one's terrible. Well, Carl was like, <laughs> he cut him some slack. He was like 14, 15. I'll cut him some slack. I I don't even know if I've heard that one before. Beach Boys. It's on the Beach Boys. It's on the Hoffman CD too. So okay. it's on. And it's on. It should be on YouTube. If you need the Hoffman, send you the Flax. It sounds like I'm not missing out on much though. If you, if you don't like Stoked, you're not gonna like this at all. Okay, I don't like. Stoked. <laughs> it's worse than Stoked. So yeah, you're, you're not I love Stoked. Stoked is awesome. Stoked. <laughs> I'm saying this is worse than Stoked. Oh yeah, I know. Obviously, I mean, it doesn't have them going Stoked. I love. I love. Yeah, Stoked. Surf Jam is rocking. That one's cool on Surface Safari. Oh, Surf Jam, yeah. I'm sorry. I would um when I was like get really getting into guitar and like really figuring out like soloing, I would like play a, a lot of Surf in USA because there's a lot of instrumentals on there. I wouldn't go along with Miserlou, although I can play that now. But I would play along with Stoked and I would just like play in the key of A. It was pretty easy, but it, it's a lot of fun. So maybe like that's why I like it. But I just remember like. I'd be playing, and then once I think Mike said it. Once he said "stoked," I would say it with him. So it's, I love, I'll defend those surf jams. But do you guys want to get to Gary Usher? Yeah. Yes. All right. So Gary Usher was the first real collaboration Brian had. Um, So Gary Usher lived in Massachusetts for a while and graduated high school there, but then he moved to California and LA, and he lived around the Wilsons area. he really circulated the music scene in the late 50s, early 60s. He's a member of many bands. But down the line, he was introduced to Brian Wilson, and they wrote a good amount of songs. Um, I mean, some highlights, In My Room, Lonely Sea, and We'll Run Away are pretty good, but pretty much the entirety of Surfing Safari is Gary Usher and Brian. Um, Cuckoo Clock, Chug-A-Lug, Heads I Win, Tills You Lose. A lot of those novelty songs were written by Usher, but... It's pretty crazy to uh, think of the pipeline from Heads I Win, Tails I Lose to In My Room in the Lonely Sea. But it, it was a pretty, it was Gary Usher's first real collab. It was kind of what made him famous, put him into the music scene. So, what do you guys think of a lot of those early Beach Boys tracks? Tracks. Surfing Surfing and Surfing USA and a little uh, bit on Surfer Girl. What I think is, is that the Surfing Safari stuff's a mixed bag. Some of it is good, the melodies are quite good. You know my opinions of Ten Little Indians. I think that song is atrocious. Um, I do like Cuckoo Clock's melody. Um, I do like Chug-a-Lug. Um, I like because it kind of shows the personalities of the group. Um, I like County Fair's melody. I know that some people don't care for the what's-his-face doing the barking. What's his I'm name? Nick Vinay. Um, Surfing Lonely Sea is great. I think that was actually one of the three on the demo tape. It was Lonely Sea, Surfing Safari, and I believe... 409 we're on the demo tape for capital right i believe so and um only sees great in my room is fucking gorgeous will run away is gorgeous um i will say that i really think they could have written some more great music together but i know murray didn't like gary usher at all which i think is part of the reason why gary usher kind of broke away from that whole thing because i think murray just did not like him i don't know if murray just wanted to keep it in the family or murray was just jealous of gary usher i don't know what it was 
But um, I like I said, I like I, I think they really blossomed into something beautiful. Uh, the early stuff's a little bit more hit and miss, but the later stuff is really, really, really gorgeous. Even still to this day, it's some of the most gorgeous stuff in the catalog. And I just think it's a shame that it ended so acrimoniously because I think there was still much great music to be written together. Yeah, there's a uh, they definitely didn't get along, Murray and um, Gary Usher. There's a quote from one of the books. It's either Heroes and Villains or Catch a Wave, but uh, where uh, Gary was uh, with Brian and, and uh, I guess Murray was like throwing his own ideas out there. And he was like, let's write a song about roses or something. And then I think Gary said something like, that's really old fashioned. And then Murray got annoyed with him and was like, no, it's not old fashioned. And then I think like they ended up like, I think uh, he ended up getting kicked out and then he could hear Murray like yelling at Brian down the street. So obviously there was a lot of tension there. Um, in terms of the songs though, I, I really love a lot of those, especially like those ballads. Lonely Sea is incredible. Um, it is interesting how early that was recorded. Like, it's funny imagining like how out of place that would have been if they had put it on Surf and Safari. Like you have all these like novelty songs and then, you know, if they had put Lonely Sea on there, it would have been so out of place. But I do, I do think it works a bit better on, on, uh, Surf and USA. Um, and, uh, yeah, I love, uh, In My Room is just a gorgeous ballad. One of the, their best early ballads. Will Run Away is a really pretty ballad. I, I think that's kind of one that people kind of sleep on a little bit. You don't hear about it too much, but I think it's a really nice song. Uh, and I'm I'm with you, Matt. I think the uh, the Serpent Safari material is very like hit or miss for me. Like there's some nice moments. I think the melodies have potential, um, but the songs themselves don't like do too much for me. As you mentioned, I, I County Fair. I I hate when the freaking Barker comes in, completely ruins the song. They had a good melody going there, and that just kills it. Um, they definitely used it better on that song I Do, uh, which should have gotten an official release by the Beach Boys because I think it's a great song. Um, yeah, but like Chug-a-Lug, eh, I could go with or without it. 409, not a huge fan of it, but I think it's all right. Uh, 10 Little Indians, as you said, there's a lot of things wrong with that track, and it's not a good song musically, I don't think, and it's obviously a disaster lyrically. Um, I do want to mention a song you, you guys uh, didn't mention yet, um, Malibu Sunset, uh, which was a track that never got an official release, but uh, I, I really love this one. Um, I discovered it probably a year or a year and a half ago just like going through some YouTube playlist somebody made of like Brian's uh, demos and stuff. And I was like, Oh my God, this is really good. Like, even though the quality isn't great on the recording, you can really hear how like nice and, and like beautiful the song is. And I really wish they had done something with this because I think it deserves, uh, deserves a release for sure. I think it's a gorgeous ballad. So uh, I'd like to know a little more history on that. If anybody knows anything more about that one, like why it didn't get a release or what the plan was for it. But I really like it a lot. I think there's a lot of Beach Boy songs that should have gotten releases and didn't. I think that's kind of one of the most frustrating things about this group. You see what was in the vault, and then you listen to what ended up on the actual LPs, and you're like, why? <laughs> like you mentioned, I do. Why did that sit in the vault for 30 years? Thank is him. Beyond- Thank huh? Thank him. Thank him. Thank him, yeah. Or um, Land Ahoy, at least they reused the melody. I know that became Cherry Cherry Coop. Was that a Gary Usher co-write originally? Uh, I don't think so. I, I mean, don't think It's so. just the music by Brian. We'll I know that cherry tree coop. Christian did the later version because Roger Christian did all the car songs. We'll get to him in a second. No, I mean with all of the filler on like uh, shutdown, you know, I think I do was recorded around that time. I want to say so, like it, w- it would have been better on on there over some of the tracks they put on there, like Pom Pom Playgirl and some of that crap. Um, yeah. Also, uh, I do want to mention to the song. Um, I know you you wrote it down, uh, Riley. The song uh, number one which uh, Gary and, and Brian wrote for a group called Rachel and the Revolvers, which from what I've read, wasn't really much of a group. They kind of just, it was just like a single or two that they did, but um, it's a really nice song. It is a good melody. And I especially love the Beach Boys version, which is called Visions. 
Um, that's another one I just kind of randomly stumbled across on YouTube one day. And I was like, this is beautiful. Like, this is a really nice melody, nice vocals. And again, it's not like the best quality recording, but I think that almost like adds to it a little bit. Like it, it, I kind of like that. It sounds like some like this old, like vintage recording. So I, I like the song a lot. Another one of those ones that I think would have been nice to get an official release. So. Can I say one quick thing about Rachel and the Revolvers? So I think yeah, that yeah. was some black girl they found that did the singing on that. I don't know if they ever actually confirmed who the woman was, but there was one woman that was rumored to be the singer. And I read her backstory and she ended up homeless and ended up being murdered while she was like sleeping or something. It was kind of sad. Moving on. Justin. <laughs> uh, th- this era, th- same thing as Matt and Jake. I don't, it doesn't really do too much for me. Um, the songs. Um, but it is the beginning. You have to imagine like 1962, 1963, where is popular music? Where is rock? Uh, rock and roll, it just started like literally seven years before. So it's just like pretty much within the birth of rock. They're creating these songs and like trying to find their way. And you can already tell like at this time that the band has something pretty special already. Like within 1962, 1963, they're already getting quite a bit of chart action as well, too, is, um, and a lot of fans. So you can see... Uh, just hear from listening to the songs that uh they were very special even at this point but for me knowing that what i know about the later stuff it really doesn't do as much for me as the later stuff does yeah that's 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 totally fair i uh i mean the early era is really special to me i mean i I listened to a lot of it as a kid and I, i kind of once i was initially getting into the band while i listened to a lot of the sunflower era and i listened to a lot of pet sounds i mean this this stuff still really hit with me then again, I Get Around is my favorite song of all time, so it's like pretty easy for me to get into this stuff. But I, I really dig a lot of this, and I was going to get to a lot of like the unreleased and other tracks, and Jake mentioned it. I mean, Malibu Sunset's really beautiful. I only heard that for the first time the other day, and I'm like, holy crap. Uh, but there, there's a lot of stuff that they did, and they didn't just... Gary Usher and Brian didn't just write for the Beach Boys. They sent a lot of other songs to other groups. Um, I mean, like, like Visions that they did was... That went to Rachel and the Revolvers, became number one. And there's a couple of other songs, and Gary Usher was really spreading his wings at this time, and he was getting into the L.A. music scene. He, he became a pretty in-demand guy. He, he became a producer down the line. Um, quick mention, uh, Matt, I know you hate Ten Little Indians. That's actually that's a traditional song that um, has a novelty track. I don't think that's really a Gary Usher thing. I think that was Capital being Capital in 1962. Um why they recorded it still, I don't fucking know. But it is a traditional song, and Gary Usher receives like a half credit on it, so I'll give Gary Usher that. Well, it's dated. Let's just leave it at that. But oh, want- yeah, it's so fucking dated. I want to say one quick thing, Justin. I don't know what you're saying. Also, Rock was kind of in a weird point at this time, because this was in that weird period between like a lot of the pioneers either not making music or being condemned, and uh, the Beatles before, before uh, what do you call it, the British Invasion, because I know Elvis was in the army. Chuck Berry was arrested. Jerry Lee Lewis married his cousin, was a pariah. And then Buddy Holly and all them were dead, which I think, you know, to be honest, Buddy Holly was the one that was the most kind of the most. Of, I hate to say it, but he was the one that was the most like influential of that group. But, uh, you know, Buddy Holly was great. But yeah. And uh, so I think the, the music kind of reflects that. But I think you also I want to add on too, like you said, something special. You're right. I don't remember where I read this. Somebody said, like, even out of those really early records are kind of experimental in a way, a lot more experimental than what was being kind of pushed out when you compare it to like the. The Fabian, Fabian was so bad. I, I feel sorry for him because I know like he kind of had to make like his dad was like sick or something. But my God, that those records were awful. I tried to listen to that stuff one time. 
ugh, yeah. But then, like, the Frankie Avalon stuff, it's just, it was just much better than that stuff that was coming out. But, ugh, yeah, Fabian, that's a... That's where music was at that point. You know, like, that's what people were listening to. And, like, those novelty songs and stuff like that, that was popular. So that's what Capital was thinking, right? Yeah. No, I know. I get it. I get it. It's just, I mean, it's like, thank God for the Beatles and Dylan and the Beach, the Beach Boys, right? Because, my God, imagine we kept going down that path. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So after the Beach Boys, or at least while he was still somewhat working with them, he, he definitely became less focused. Surfing USA, you see a lot less contributions from Usher and same with Surfer Girl and a couple of albums down the line. But that's because Gary Usher was um, kind of getting into producing. Uh, but he also partnered with some other people. I mean, he, he did the Beach Party soundtrack with Roger Christian. Um, he has a couple of other songs. And he also, as he became a producer, he kind of had some side projects. He did. Uh, he made a group called the Hondells, who were uh, it, literally just all session musicians. And then Brian actually gave Gary Usher the song Little Honda for the Hondells. And I think most people know the Beach Boys version, but that was a hit for the Hondells. I think it reached number nine. So, but Gary Usher was kind of rising the ranks, uh, and eventually he became a producer for one of my favorite bands, The Birds. Um, and I don't know if you guys listen to any of those songs. I, I'm a huge fan of The Birds. I really like Roger McGuinn. I really like their style. It's a very different California sound, um, but he produced Younger Than Yesterday, which is a really good album. Um, it's a great album. Uh, Sweetheart of the Rodeo. Uh, I'm not a country music guy, so it doesn't really hit that hard for me, but... And he also produced the Notorious Bird Brothers, which is also a fantastic album. So he, he was he was moving up. So I don't know if you guys listen to that. I don't know if you guys have any thoughts on the birds. I mean, I know we're in a Beach Boys podcast, but I think we could spare the birds like three minutes. I've never listened to the birds, so I don't have an opinion. It's on my list. <laughs> uh yeah, I like I wouldn't say I'm like a huge Birds fan, but I like quite a few of their songs. Um, like I kind of have to do like a deeper dive, I feel like. I have listened to an album or two of theirs. I don't necessarily remember the album as a whole sticking with me, but uh, there's some songs I really love. Like I love obviously like Mr. Tambourine Man is a classic. Uh, I really like the song. I don't know how popular this one is today, but I love the song Have You Seen Her Face. Uh, that's that is a banger. I wish it got more attention because I think it's great. I think that was kind of released when they were starting to kind of fade in popularity a little bit, which is why it wasn't as big of a hit as it could have been but i like that one a lot um and yeah obviously the birds are like a very influential band i know like, like i'm a big tom petty fan and i know tom petty based a lot of his songwriting off of the birds and he kind of it's like a more modern sounding bird so obviously a very influential band big part of like the kind of like the california sound at the time and um yeah i definitely will definitely want to check out some more of their material because i know they're beloved by a lot of people justin the birds uh one of my favorite albums by them is actually has no i don't think it has any gary usher involvement in it it's uh after uh sweetheart of the rodeo they put out an album called dr birds and mr hyde that's kind of like a country slash rock kind of like uh goes back and forth between the tracks and it's like one of their last albums before uh they broke up so it was it was one of my favorites yeah um i the reason i kind of wanted to like talk about the birds and first of all have you seen her face is my favorite bird song I love that song. I, I remember learning on that on guitar. The riff is so cool. Uh, the reason I mentioned it is because David Crosby said Gary Usher was a bad producer. And uh, I don't know. I mean, Younger Than Yesterday is one of my favorite Birds albums. It's, it's somewhere in my top 100 favorite albums. I don't know if I agree with this statement. 
I, I mean, I'm usually team David Crosby, but I think that's kind of a douchey thing to say. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I, you guys said you don't really listen to much of much of uh, Gary's or those albums that Gary was on, but do you guys think he's a bad producer? I mean, I mean, I don't hear not. No. Yeah, I, I don't hear anything wrong with those songs, and I think they've stood the test of time because you know millions of people still listen to them every year. So I mean, I don't, you know, I think um, obviously some like some artists are very picky, and like you know, I think David Crosby said some other stuff too. He's gotten into some beef with other artists before too, so I don't know if that's really anything that surprising from him. But um, yeah, personally, I don't hear anything wrong with his production from what I've heard. Yeah, I mean, I like like I said, I like David Crosby, but like, what do you mean by that? Like, it, it, elaborate on why Gary Usher is a bad producer. I mean, I like all of these songs, and I, Younger Than Yesterday is, uh, I think it's like maybe my number one, maybe my number two favorite Birds album. I really like Mr. Tambourine Man, um, but it, it, like, I don't hear anything wrong with it, and he's done a lot of p- producing, and we'll actually see that on the, kind of the next topic of, with Sagittarius. I, I don't think he's a bad producer. I, I think he's done a lot of good work. So on the topic, Sagittarius, that um, it was a group that, started off as just like a side project again with usher he was producing chad and jeremy he offered them a song and they said no so usher said screw that i'll do this myself and um he had help for the one song my world fell down by from uh, bruce johnson glenn campbell and terry Meltzer, who are all very big in beach boys like circle of friends all connected yeah 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 and um, I, I personally really like My World Fell Down, but that ended up, because of the success, they asked to, I think it's Columbia, who, who he was working for at the time, asked him to make a whole album. And that has a lot of cool sounds. I, I mean, I think it's all right. I don't think it's like a freaking masterpiece, but a couple good songs in there. I don't know if you guys listen to Sagittarius at all. Uh, yeah, I have listened to the album before. I, I think I discovered it um, probably about a, like two years ago, I would say. I just came across it one day. It was on like a playlist and I just started going through it. Um, there, there's some songs I really like on there. I love the song Another Time. I think that's a really pretty one. I like the song uh, Song to the Magic Frog. I think that's a good one, too. It's got a real nice melody to it. Good harmonies. Uh, and yeah, my world fell down is really cool. Um, I think I read a quote, uh, from, uh, it's from, again, from one of the books. And I think it was said something like Brian heard this song one day and he kind of like freaked out because it sounded so much like something that he would have written, but it wasn't him. Uh, and I think he was like, kind of like baffled by it when he heard it. I think I read that somewhere. Um, but, uh, yeah, it does really sound like it could have been written by Brian or like Bri- that Brian was involved with it, even though he wasn't. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's a really cool album. I would definitely recommend giving it a listen if to any of our listeners haven't heard it before. Um, like you said, uh, Riley, I wouldn't say it's like, it's not a complete masterpiece to me, but I think there, I think everybody can probably find something to like on there, especially if you're a Beach Boys fan. So Justin, uh, Sagittarius, I haven't heard that album for a long time. I remember discovering it for the first time would have been like in the nineties sometime when I first heard about the Bruce Johnston, um, uh, contribution to it uh i thought it was a really great album very melodic uh very beach boys-esque uh, a lot of there was a lot of these kind of side projects going around between like different like people around the beach boys that were kind of like sunshine pop kind of like psychedelic um kind of albums at this time that were very very beach boys influenced and i think this is one of them as well and uh yeah, it's just been so long since I've heard it, but it, I remember it being very melodic, and uh, it was a great listen. I should probably go and search for it again. Yeah. Uh, 
uh, Justin, yeah, you took the words out of my mouth. I was going to say, like, if you like Sunshine Pop, like, if you're into, like, album like like Sunflower, which has a lot of that style on it, too, I think think you might really like this album. Uh, Also, like you mentioned, there were several different groups that were kind of like these studio groups that existed. There's another one. I think it's called The Millennium. Uh, and they have also like a sunshine pop type album that's really good. There's some really nice songs on that as well. So um, these are albums that are kind of obscure today, but like they're definitely worth listening to if you like that that kind of sound. That sound. Is it similar to like the Monkees uh, Pisces album? Because that's very like kind of sunshine pop, right? A little, little bit. bit. I would say yeah. yeah. Love that album. He took the words it's a right little bit. A little bit different than Monkees. Yeah. A little bit. Yeah. 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 Because that's kind of I know it has some sunshine pop. Yeah. Some sunshine pop in it, and I love that record. That's a great record. Yeah, Jake, I was gonna mention the Millennium. Yeah, <laughs> that's, a, that's a fantastic album. I was gonna say that, and then you like took it right from me, but that's all right. Um, uh, yeah, but I mean, kind of after this point, Gary Usher, like, he was just kind of around. He didn't really do a whole lot. He he did come back in the '80s and wrote a couple of songs with Brian. Um, nothing really worth too much mention. I mean, they're all right. There was a whole session tape that they did from I think '86, '87 in the landy years so i he was definitely very forced but the thing with landy was a, kind of the same thing with murray was landy really wanted that control and he really wanted to like be brian's collaborator and yeah they bought heads yeah, yeah. so eventually they just kind of fell out and it kind of sucks because gary usher died really well relatively young in 1990 which is really sad because he i mean in my opinion and maybe we could talk about this later i think him and brian really connected especially on those ballads, especially those early ballads, like In My Room, Lonely Sea. That's where they really hit, and those are some of my favorite Beach Boys songs. In My Room was in my top 10 favorite Beach Boys songs, so I think it's kind of sad. I, I feel like maybe sometime in the 80s or 90s they could have come together and something could have happened, but it didn't happen because he died really young. If I'm not mistaken, wasn't he, like, dying of cancer and was trying to get a hold of Brian and Landy was just, like, blocking him from, like, doing anything? Yeah, that's that's, that's yep. sad. Yeah, especially he's his first collaborator, so I'm like serious one anyways, in like, they got together in 86, and then Landy said, no, I don't like you, and he, he wanted that. That is really sad. I, I remember hearing that story. Anyways, um, <laughs> you guys want to get to Roger Christian? Yeah, let's do it. Oh, yeah, I love Roger Christian because I'm, I, if you guys remember the album ranking videos, I, I, I was a big fan of Little Deuce Coop. Um, I, I don't know why. I, I mean, there's, I do know why. It's the duo-op influence. But Roger Christian has a very cool style to him. He seems like a very cool dude. Um, I mean, after all, he's a radio personality in L.A. Um, he became known as the poet of the strip. And he was actually playing 409 when uh, Murray heard him and kind of researched about him and figured out he's the poet of the strip. And he recruited him to help Brian write a bunch of car songs because – as the surf songs are kind of getting lower in popularity, the car songs are rising, and he's like, oh, yeah, let's get this guy. And um, so they kind of got together, and Christian wrote a lot of poems about cars, and he wrote a lot of cool songs with Brian. Um, Shut Down and Little Deuce Coop are a bit faster paced, kind of the opposite of Gary Usher. Um, and then most of the Little Deuce Coop album was written with Christian. I mean, I'm a big fan. I like Spirit of America, Ballad of Old Betsy, Car Crazy Cutie. Cherry Cherry Coop, and I've actually, I, I'm not going to lie, I, I kind of got into no-go showboat, so. I mean, what do you guys think of a Little Deuce Coop and a lot of the songs Christian collaborated with? The best song there for me is probably Car Crazy Cutie. That song slides, the intro, the run, a run, and do run, run, and then the drums come in. 
Well, my steady little doll is a real lad. That's a great song. Um, I really like that one's good. Um, I like um, Cherry Cherry Coop too, which I think that reuses the Land Ahoy melody we were talking about earlier. Um, yeah, that one's good. Um, that album's kind of eh for me because it does have a lot of repeats. Um, Custom Machine's all right. No Go Showboat's decent. Spirit America's good. Young man, young man is gone. Is uh, eh. I don't know. I, I get what Michael trying. And that's not Roger Christian. I know. I get what Michael trying to do with that song, but eh, nothing quite works for me. But uh, yeah, I like some of those Roger Christian songs. Um, of course, I know we're probably gonna get to it, but he did write one of the best songs. We'll get to that one in a minute, obviously. Um, but yeah, I think the Lucy album is solid. I wouldn't put it like in my top ten or anything like that, but it's a solid early effort. It is also kind of like a cool early concept album, which is int- which is cool. Um, yeah, that's kind of where I'm at with it. Do love Cherry Cherry Coop. And I know Jake hates this album. Okay, I don't hate it. I just it's not a favorite of mine. Um, like I, like there's some songs on it I enjoy. I like the title track, Little Deuce Coop. But like you said, Matt, like they're recycling it from an album that already had come out with with Surfer Girl. Um, but yeah, I, I like that song. Um, I like uh, Balladable Betsy is nice. Um, like I don't think it's a top notch Brian Wilson ballad, but it's a nice little song. Um. The rest, I'm kind of just mixed on. Like, Spirit of America is okay, but, like, it's not a song I would choose to put on. Uh, Car Crazy Cutie has a, a okay metal mel- melody, but it's kind of the same thing. Uh, Cherry Cherry Coop, No Go Showbo don't really do much for me. Um, and, yeah, I think the most interesting part of the album, which I think, you know, you mentioned, Matt, is that, uh, like, it's kind of like an early concept album in a way. I think it's cool that, like, all the songs are about, like, cars. I think that's interesting. But uh, beyond that, these songs kind of feel a little bit lackluster to me. Um, as I mentioned to Riley before, like on the the uh, album ranking we did, um, I don't think I'm necessarily the biggest doo-wop fan. There are some doo-wop songs that I like, but I wouldn't say I'm like a huge fan of the genre. So maybe that has something to do with it. Maybe if I can get more into that genre, that style of music, I can pr- maybe get more into the album. But I just don't think it's the most interesting album. Um, also, I'm not crazy about Shutdown, which I've mentioned before. I don't think it's bad. Um, but like, as like, it's not a bad single, but I just don't think it's like, it's not something that I listen to or choose to put on much. So. Justin. So I'd say with this album, you're starting to see the band, uh, kind of growing a little bit more and you could see that they're kind of moving on to bigger and better things. Um, I actually really love shutdown. I used to love it as a kid, especially, uh, a lot of these songs, it's hard for me to rank them now because I did listen to them so much as a kid. So they're kind of a little bit overplayed for me. Um, and and now knowing what I know about the later Beach Boys, um, it's it's tough to go back. But uh, you can see that they are, it is a really special band. And uh, like Matt said with the concept album, that was something that was very... Uh, not unheard of at the time, but it was kind of unusual in the rock kind of... Uh, genre um yeah like a lot of these songs like uh, car crazy cutie this this song reminds me so much of uh the wanderer by uh, dion uh, i think that's what they were trying to channel with this because they were actually doing that song in concert at the time too so it's kind of like very doo-wop influenced and uh yeah we're just still we're still in the early days of rock and uh i think for 1963 this is a really solid album yeah yeah, just yeah. Like add on to what you were saying concept i, was, I think Probably the first concept was probably that Frank Sinatra album, right? Like in the Wee Small Hours, or whatever it's called. One of the first concept albums. And that was not, obviously, that's not rock. Sinatra was the antithesis yeah, of rock. Yeah, 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 yeah. Rock concept album was probably one of the first ones, for sure. I think it was an accidental concept album. I think they they chose to make it all about cars, but I don't think it was uh, 
let's make this a concept album. Um, but I think for an album that was written in four weeks, this is pretty damn impressive. Um, that's why they recycled a lot of songs. And I think if they gave Brian and since Christian was kind of his go-to guy for this, Roger Christian a bit more time, they probably could have come up with something a lot better. Um, but who knows? Then maybe we wouldn't have had some of those really good songs on a shutdown volume two, which I also wanted to talk about. Um, so who knows? But um, shutdown volume two, there was only I think two contributions from Christian, um, but they are also on one really good song and one that's all right. Um, <laughs> Don't worry, baby was written with Roger Christian, and I think that was um, yeah, that was that was easily the best. Um, collab between the two i know brian was trying to and I've, I've seen people say that he is ripping off be my baby and i'll always come to brian's defense on that he literally wrote it for the ronettes and then specter said no and uh, so we took it back and made it and it became one of their best-selling songs up at that point um like I, i've seen a, i like jt curtis he's a really good youtuber he does a lot of pink floyd videos he does a lot of um album or album ranking videos and he does a lot of like cool music stuff but in his history of rock video he mentioned that brian was stole this song from the ronettes and i'm like no he literally wrote it for them as the sequel to be my baby which was his favorite song um and again they said no and he just released it on his own but easily the best christian contribution um i actually first listened i didn't know this was about car racing i just thought it was another be my baby which is also really one of my favorite songs too um and then I looked at the lyrics and I'm like, oh, and I, I still love it just as much. It's one of my favorite Beach Boys songs. Uh, the other one was This Car of Mine, but I don't think you guys really care about Or was it? No, I think it was in the parking lot. The parking lot. Uh, the parking lot yeah. I do like that song. I like the, the change. It kind of starts off slow and then it goes really fast and then it goes slow. So. Yeah, it's. I love the I love the the tempo changes in that song. Very very ahead of its time for '64. Uh, I think you said everything needs to be said about "Don't Worry, Baby." One of their best songs. A beautiful song. A song about cars, but it can also easily be reinterpreted as a great love ballad. Wonderful song. I think it and I get around probably one of the greatest uh, double sided singles out there. Um, I will say too. I know we 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 just finished with Gary Usher, but "Pom Pom Playgirl" is a Gary Usher co-write. That song's all right. It's not much to write home about. I purposely I- left it out because of Jake. He hates that song. <laughs> Not that bad, but it's not that great either. I don't, I don't, it's not the worst song on here. It's not the freaking cover of Louie Louie. That's the worst. It's not song. take a load off your feet. That's for sure. That song isn't that bad either. Not ten little Indians, right? That's the worst Gary Usher co right? But uh, yeah, no. Um, don't worry, baby, and in the parking lot, great songs. Um, especially don't worry, baby. Uh, yeah, that's all I have to say. Yeah, I think with uh with, with don't worry, baby. So like like um obviously like there's a lot of comparisons you can make between that song and be my baby. Uh, for me, those songs are like neck and neck for which one I, I love more. Like, I think they're both just like top-notch songs. I listen to them both a lot. Um, I do think lyrically, Don't Worry Baby has Be My Baby beat because I think it's more interesting. I think there's more going on lyrically. You have like the theme of like, you know, he's going to get going into this car race. But then also you have the themes of like love and romance along with that. Where like Be My Baby, it's more just your general love song lyrics. But I think there's more going on with Don't Worry Baby. So uh, really great lyrics to that one and just a great song in general. I think that's crazy that um, that guy was saying that it's ripping off Be My Baby because to me, most ripoffs, like if, if you call a song a ripoff, usually you say, well, that song's inferior to that song. To me, this song challenges Be My Baby is almost being better than it. I think it's like a great response to it. Um, you can hear the influence of it, but it's by no means a ripoff in my opinion. Uh, it's, it's different melodically. It's just a different song. Um, I love the production on it too. Um, and 
uh, in the parking lot is, is nice. It, it grew on me. I used to not really care for it. It used to kind of be like a skip for me, but, uh, I, I do like this one. I think it's one of the stronger album tracks on shutdown, which I think has a lot of filler on it. So it's definitely one of the better. No, I, I agree. I just want to say one quick thing. We're talking about Phil Spector and lyrics was not a great lyric writer. He wasn't. Most of his lyrics were pretty simple. I think river D Mount high is a great example. That song is great because of Tina Turner's vocal and the production. The lyrics are horrible. If I had a rag doll like I ever, like, lyrics are terrible. But what makes it great is if they are. But what makes it great is the production and the Tina Turner just freaking sings it like the rent is due, you know. Um, and I just want to say one quick thing about ripoff. Okay, this is an homage. This is not a ripoff. A ripoff is like for me when you directly take it and it's like okay, like the song. Listen when you when and for the listeners out there, this is a ripoff. James Brown's Hot 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 I Need to Be Loved is a ripoff of David Bowie's Fame. It is the same guitar loop. He took the same thing and wrote new lyrics off it and didn't even give anybody credit. That's a ripoff. This was not a ripoff. This is an homage. Yeah. Justin, anything? Don't worry, baby. I heard that song before I ever heard Be My Baby, actually. So I was unaware of that it was a ripoff to begin with or that anybody thought that. But uh, for many years. And also, like Riley said, I had no idea that was about a car race at all. Like for the first like few years I had heard it. I thought it was just like a love song uh, to a woman kind of thing. And uh, yeah, it's just it's one of their greatest songs. So I'd say even just for that collaboration alone, like Roger Christian, he deserves so much, so many props for that. Like honestly, um, in the parking lot, that's kind of an obscure track that not a lot of people know about. Um, I first heard this song because I didn't actually get Shut Down Volume Two until like the late '90s, I would say. And uh, I first heard this song on a compilation somewhere. Uh, I think it was called Be True to Your School or something from the early 80s. Uh, and it was just like a random track on there. I was like, whoa, what is what is this? Like, I've never heard this before. And it has like the interesting uh, intro and like the uh, and it speeds up and everything. It's it's kind of a cool arrangement for 1964, something that you wouldn't really hear on the radio or like in popular music at the time. So you can kind of see that they're growing uh, with these songs. So, yeah. I, I really love the part in that song where it's like, he's turning up the radio dial. Yeah. That, that's, that's the moment. Yeah. 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 So for most songs, especially when it's a song that's growing on me, there's usually that one part of that song that first clicks and then the rest will follow. That's what clicked. And I mean, I shut down volume two has tons of filler on here. I mean, fucking Denny's drums, but <laughs> it's I, a great just, but I mean, when I was doing the, <laughs> When I was doing the album rankings initially, because I mean, this is a ranking that is subject to change all pretty much any time I go back to it. Um, I, I was kind of thinking like, all right, this will go like maybe like number 20. And then I gave it a re-listen and this song really hit with me pretty recently. Um, so I really like it. Um, I, I, like I said, the, like you guys said, the, uh, the, the arrangements is very, I, I don't know if ahead of the time is even the right word. It's just so progressive. It's so like different not necessarily like new it's just different which is something you didn't really see so i i really enjoy it but unfortunately i mean i, I think roger christian was a great um collab with brian but after shutdown volume two they didn't do anything together um which kind of stinks but i mean then again brian was really moving in a new direction after shutdown volume two you have all summer long and then you have today summer days and then pet sounds so it really wasn't that far off you really especially in uh, don't worry baby you're really seeing the seeds planted for what was coming up so i mean i think although i think they could have put out some good more mu 
some more good music. I think it was kind of good that he let Christian go. Um, but Roger Christian um, actually helped out Jan and Dean a lot. They did uh, Dead Man's Curve, Little Old Lady from Pasadena, and Drag City. The other ones I don't really care for too much. I'm not a huge Jan, Jan and Dean fan, but those three I think are pretty good tracks. I don't know if you guys listen to Jan and Dean at all. Yeah, I mean, I, I know, I know like, their hits. I know a few of them. But, like, yeah, I'm, I wouldn't say I'm, like, a, a huge fan of them overall, though. Like, I like a couple of the hits, and that's about it. But, um, you know, obviously, you know, they, they have those t- a lot of ties with the Beach Boys because, uh, you know, uh, Brian wrote Surf City for them. And then, obviously, Jan uh, – or, I mean, Dean Torrance went touring with Mike for a bit in the 80s and recording. So, obviously, there's a lot of connections there. But um, one thing I wanted to mention real quick, uh, just going back to Don't Worry Baby, I don't know if you guys have ever seen the clip of um, – Brian, he's in like some like he's in like some like radio studio with the DJs and they tell him that Ronnie Spector had recorded a version of Don't Worry Baby. And Brian was like, just like, you know, obviously Brian loves the Ronettes. He loves being my baby. And he's like, really? Like they did. And they're like, yeah, you want to hear it? And then there's a video of him like reacting to it. And he's just like blown away. He's like, oh, my God, this is so I thought that was really cool. I'm glad that that exists. Um, It's fun to see Brian blown away. Yeah, and I just want to say one quick thing about Roger Christian. Um, him and Gary Usher produced probably one of the most blatant cash grabs that Capitol ever put out, The Beatles Story. Are you guys familiar with that? Oh, yep. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> basically what it is, in case, you guys are, in case our listeners aren't familiar with it, it was basically like a documentary double album that Capitol put out of like interviews of The Beatles and little things of like some of their music and stuff, and it's just a blatant cash grab. Um, I think they actually did reissue it in that Beatles CD box set. I don't really know why they did. I guess just for like the novelty factor. Um, but yeah, they did. They produced that. And also, not to be confused, Roger Christian actually has the same name as the set director Roger Christian, who won an Oscar for Star Wars and also directed one of the worst movies of all time, Battlefield Earth. So fun fact. Oh, the Beatles story. I freaking hate that. I'm, okay, so there's a record store that's like less than a mile away from my house, maybe like a mile. Um, and I, I go there a lot. And every time I'm searching through the the Beatles section, there's like 50 copies of the Beatles story. And I have to, like, I'm, like, looking for a copy of Rubber Soul, because that's one of my favorite Beatles albums. Probably my favorite. And then, I, like, I remember every single time I go there, I dig through there, and it's just, like, Beatles story, Beatles story, Beatles story, Beatles second album, Beatles story. And it pisses me off so much. <laughs> Hate it. Hate it. You're looking for the American Rubber Soul? I finally got a copy, but now I'm, now I'm looking for, um... I want to get I want to get an um, original pressing of the the blue album. Mm. Oh, okay, nice. Oh, yeah. Okay, okay. Just like freaking Beatles story everywhere. Like I said, it was a blatant cash grab. People bought it, realized this sucks, and then took it back to the record store. <laughs> freaking hate that album. Any thoughts on Jen and Dean, Justin? Not really. Uh, I I listened to them growing up as a kid. Uh, because my dad really liked them. But uh, I, I don't like their voices that much, to be honest. Like, I don't feel that they're, they're not even anywhere near the level of Beach Boys as far as their voices. So. I, like, I like Little Old Lady from Pasadena, but I also was introduced to that song from the Beach Boys performing it live. Dead Man's right. Curve is all right, but besides Surf City, which was also written by Brian, I mean, the, those two songs, I don't really care for them. I respect them, but I, I don't really care for their music, but... I mean, kind of past that, Roger Christian kind of faded into obscurity, um, which kind of sucks. He also died, I think, in 1990, which is kind of wild. Wild. But, uh, yeah, he never reconnected with Brian, at least from what I know, from what I researched. Um, 
But I, I kind of want to ask, who do you guys think did a better job, Gary Usher or, or uh, Roger Christian, with Brian at least? I mean, to me, the more the, the more lasting impact was Gary Usher, just because of like those those ballads that he did with Brian were just so obviously like yeah, Roger Christian was uh, he, don't worry, baby, he he co-wrote or helped with the lyrics, so obviously that's a big contribution. But I would say overall, Gary Usher. Um, Roger Christian, it seemed like mostly specialized with like doing just the car songs where like, I think Gary Usher, there was more like diversity in, in the lyrics. So I, I, I would say Gary Usher, um, also Gary Usher was before Roger Christian as well. Um, so that, that's what I would say, but both were obviously like very important collaborators and they both did a lot of like, good stuff with Brian. So, yeah, Matt, Matt. I would say, um, don't worry, baby's great. But as a whole, yeah, Gary Usher, because it was earlier, so I think the impact was better. You know, like, the impact was more with, like, Brian getting used to the studio and the songwriting thing. And also, you know, In My Room is great, too. And I, I think as a whole, I do prefer the more introspective lyrics of Gary Usher than I do of, like, the car stuff of Roger Christian. Then again, though, Car Crazy Cutie, car crazy cutie is great, and the parking lot's great. So I think it's I think we should just be happy that both collaborate. It's not, we don't have to choose, you know? It's not like uh, Sophie's Choice, you know? Yeah, for sure. Justin, any thoughts? I agree with Jake and Matt that Gary Usher is probably the one that has more lasting impact. Um, I I feel like he and Brian were a little bit closer, whereas Roger Christian was more of like a professional kind of relationship, um, especially being like a radio DJ and like uh, he played a lot of the Beach Boys music and stuff. It was more of like a professional kind of like. Uh, Hey, how are you doing? It wasn't like any, like, uh, like Gary Usher, he had known like before Beach yeah. Boys kind of things. So, um, I feel just for that reason alone, like it was, it has more of a lasting impact and, and the songs are a little bit more, uh, uh, less surface. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, 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 I really agree. I think Gary Usher, I, I think him and Brian had a great relationship. I mean, they, Gary literally visited Brian's house, um, and Murray actually wanted to hit Gary with a two by four. So I, I, I think that the introspective lyrics are like, they're very, like, obviously they, they're very reflective. And I think Gary really understood Brian on that personal level where Brian was writing this deep music for lonely scene in my room. And Gary literally like took the music and gave them the perfect words to the songs. So I, I, I totally agree. But like like Matt said, I, we don't really have to choose. It's just kind of more like a talking point, I think. But yeah, Gary Usher really understood Brian, and I I, I think this kind of adds on to why I think it's sad that Landy wouldn't let Usher and Brian connect again. So yeah, uh, um, right. I know this is brief. Are we gonna talk about the brief relationship with Russ Titleman? Or are we gonna just go? Yeah, straight yeah. I was gonna say um before we get to Tony Asher, there were two songs that Russ uh, Titleman had, and uh, that's ironically it's two outtakes uh sherry she needs me or as is known then sandy and guess i'm dumb which brian wrote for glenn campbell um i think those are two very good songs two songs i think really should have been put on albums but i understand that um guess i'm dumb was a gift from brian to glenn for helping out on the beach boys touring um and sandy was unfinished i i like pretty much every version of that song day limbs replaced a released a version of it today which i admit i i, I really liked it but day limbs has done better ai work but uh again uh, sandy's a good song i like the instrumental version but i also like the released version i guess unreleased from 78 
with uh, Brian's older voice over the 65 track. But if you guys want to talk about those songs pretty quick, what are your thoughts? Are your thoughts? Yeah, I think they're both great songs. Again, why they were outtakes, I'll never know. I know Guess I'm Dumb was given to uh, Glenn Campbell, which was a good song, but it was a flop. I don't know how it did on the charts. I know it didn't do much on the charts because the 45 cost a fortune. Let's see how well it did on the charts. Oh, it didn't chart. Okay. Yeah, why it didn't chart is beyond me, but it's a great song. Um, I like I like the Sherry She Needs Me, like the one that you mentioned. On the, I think it's on the Made in California box where they mix it together. I don't like the AI stuff. Hot take. I know I don't like listening to it, so I don't do oh, it. Oh, yeah. I yeah, don't like, I don't like, I don't like it, it, but like, I think it's interesting to look at at least like once or twice. I don't even like to even touch it though. To me, it's like, I don't want to open that can of worms. Um, but Russ Titleman, <laughs> very, very successful career. Uh, I know he wrote a song for the Hollies called Yes, I Will, which the Monkees later covered on. He wrote that with Gary, with Jerry Goffing, um, I'll Be True To You. It was called I'll Be True To You when the Monkees did it. It's on the first Monkees album. He also won three Grammys. I know the Grammys ain't much, but uh, Record of the Year for Steve Winwood's Higher Love, Album of the Year for um, Eric Clapton's MTV Unplugged, and record of the year for Eric Clapton's Tears in Heaven. And um, he also worked for many, many, many years for Warner Brothers Records, worked with a ton of artists, Randy Newman, James Taylor, George Harrison, Ricky Lee Jones, Chaka Khan, Christine McVie. I'm just going on the Wikipedia page here. He worked with Brian on the solo album. Um, so yeah, he's had a very, very successful career, but I guess him and Brian just maybe just didn't quite click. Maybe that's why they didn't write so many songs together back in the band's prime. They're very good songs, though. They're very good songs. Take any thoughts on Sherry, She Needs Me? Uh... Um, I like both. I wouldn't say I love them, but I like them. Like, I will listen to them. I have them, like, on my Beach Boys playlist. Uh, I think with Sherry, She Needs Me, I like the verses more than I do the chorus. Um, but but I do like the song. And then Guess I'm Dumb, I think, is, is a, obviously, like, a really good arrangement. I think uh, Glenn Campbell did it really well. Um, yeah, and yeah, these, these both are good enough to have gotten an official release. Um, it's a shame that they didn't, uh, obviously I guess, I'm guess I'm dumb was recorded by Glenn Campbell and released, but it didn't do anything commercially. So, but, uh, it would have been interesting to hear like the beach boys do that one considering like, it does sound like kind of like a pet sounds esque track. So I like them. It's not like favorites of mine. Justin. Yeah, I really like both these tracks. Uh, they should have released guess I'm dumb. I don't know why they didn't do that. Uh, Sandy, Sherry, uh, same thing on on summer days that should have been released um just hearing those 65 vocals uh in that version that matt mentioned uh, on main california it's just unbelievable like and, and you hear brian's 1976 vocal on top of it and it's just it's heartbreaking to, to hear what it, his voice had come to by that point it would have been really interesting to hear the 65 version with his vocal or with dennis's vocal as as originally planned uh it's just a shame it's just a shame uh, they were both great songs yeah so uh, this is the big one and uh i think we're gonna have a lot to say about it um tony asher uh who um i mean kind of crazy because um for the next couple of albums it was actually mike who was brian's kind of go-to guy for lyrics and um i was thinking about putting mike on the list but i feel like that would be a could be a whole episode on on itself yeah of mike yeah so I was like, all right, let's just fuck him. We'll skip. We'll skip to Tony Asher. <laughs> uh, but he he was born in England, but he grew up in L.A. And he's he actually, unlike some of the other guys, um, he was a musician first. He played piano. Um, he he was really into classical music. Um, and he, he was actually recording voiceovers for a commercial because he's a jingle writer. And here the Beach Boys were next door, and they, that's kind of how they met. I think our our heard a lot of things i I heard that he uh snuck into the recording studio to meet brian and but 
however it happens, um, they they got together. Brian was looking for a clean break from the surf sound, from the old surf image when he was doing pet sounds. And this was back when the band was touring without him. So he had plenty of time to work with Tony Asher and, and write pet sounds. Um, they worked on it for three weeks. And from what I've read, and I've, I've like checked this plenty of times, this was also the first time, really, that Brian's collaborator also somewhat helped on the music. Um, he didn't really, he wasn't like contributing as much as Brian and nowhere near as close, but Brian would check with him. He'd be like, does this sound good does, as a melody? And he didn't, he would usually say yes, but there are there are some sources that say that his, his biggest contributions, at least music-wise, was on Caroline No, I Just Wasn't Made For These Times and That's Not Me, which I think is was actually really wild for me to read about. I, I didn't expect that. I thought it was strictly Brian doing music and um, Asher doing lyrics. And that's not to say that Brian didn't do anything because Brian absolutely wrote like 98% of the music. But I think it's pretty crazy to think that he, he asked Asher for help on some of that stuff. Um, but Asher's main thing for those was the lyrics. Um, and... There's a story of them writing God Only Knows in 45 minutes, which I think is nuts. But lyric-wise, I think he kind of met with him sim- similar way to Gary Usher on that introspective and very reflective level that Brian was going for. Um, I've heard a lot of people mention that Pet Sounds is kind of a concept album in the sense that it's kind of like about teen heartbreak. And while I don't agree that it's really a concept album, I think that is very much an overall theme. And uh, I think Asher really connected with Brian beautifully on this album. So I'm sure I'm going to open up the can of worms. What do you guys think? I'll be quick. I think what's really special about Pet Sounds and Tony Asher's lyrics is how he was able to get across the emotions in a poignant way, but also in a very simple way. Um, The lyrics are not like they're not hard to digest. They're very simple, but they're also very poignant. Um, Some beautiful work on there. you know, it's a great album. I think I've spoken enough about Pet Sounds when we did the album ranking. Um, I think Tony Asher was a wonderful collaborator. Um, I know that Tony Asher kind of gives Brian a lot more of the credit. He's like, oh, I was really just the interpreter. I didn't really do much of the lyric writing. So I think he's he, he could give himself a little bit more credit than that. Some great lyrics there. Um, Golly Knows especially. I think they wrote that in like 45 minutes. Jesus, 45 minutes for that. 45 minutes is enough to make Paul McCartney jealous. I think that says it all. But uh, yeah, that's that's all I'm going to say. I just think Pet Sounds is wonderful. And I think that um, a lot of a lot of that is due to Tony Asher's wonderful lyrics. I don't really care for his original lyrics to good vibrations, though. I think Mike did a better job on those. I will say that. We'll get to that later, actually. Um, lyrically, uh, if we're talking about like collaborators with lyrics, he's definitely my favorite, Tony Asher. Um, I think his work on Pet Sounds is just fantastic. I, I love the the words of, to those songs. I think he did a great job with them. They're so moving. You basically said it perfectly, Matt. Um, just uh, really effective. They're, they're not like they're they're simple, but they work really well. Um, and I you can really connect with them. And I think the lyrics of those songs, like uh, Pet Sounds, obviously like it's a great album, and I love I, I love the album as a whole. But there are some songs on it that like aren't like particular favorites of mine. But I think they work for me anyway because of the lyrics. Like you can connect with them. They're very relatable. Um, and like you said, like it, it's kind of like a concept album. It's got this theme throughout it of like teenage love and heartbreak and just like loss of innocence and it's just like it it works as a whole unit um and i really love it um i guess some of my favorite lyrics that uh tony asher helped contribute god only knows obviously that's probably like you know one of the greatest set of lyrics ever in any song uh, let alone just like the beach boy songs um i would say uh caroline no just like such heartbreaking lyrics 
um really moving song uh that's one where like yeah like the 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 song itself is like beautiful and sad like in the arrangement and the the chord changes and everything but then the lyrics just add another level of depth to it um obviously like wouldn't it be nice is amazing uh great lyrics to that too um don't talk put your head on my shoulder is one of my favorite songs on pet sounds and i think that's that has a great set of lyrics to it um again simple but effective um like i can hear so much in your size um just like it, it works so well and uh i love the song a lot and uh personally like if you ask me i know like we're gonna get to van dyke parks in a little bit but like if you ask me to choose between tony asher's lyrics and van dyke parks i'm taking tony asher any day uh, because I connect with his lyrics. I think Tony Asher's lyrics are relatable and, and, and genuine and heartfelt. And I really feel them like on an emotional level for me. Um, whereas with like Van Dyke Parks, I respect his wordplay and like his ability to like make like, you know, a lot of these like rhymes and stuff work. But like, I don't really connect with those lyrics. To me, they're more like poetry, which is fine. But like, I just, they don't, they don't do too much for me personally. But that's just my opinion. I think that's honestly why I connect with Pet Sounds more than Smile in general. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's my opinion. I, I think Tony Asher was great. I think he made some great contributions and I also love his contributions that, um, well, maybe we can talk about this a little in a bit, but his uh, work he did with Brian in the nineties, he got back together with Brian and they did a couple songs together. And I really like, I think it's, um, everything I need they did. And it's a song that Brian and, uh, he, he, he wrote with, I think how Blaine plays drums on it. And it was never officially released. Uh, as like a Brian Wilson song, it was released on an album by the Wilson sisters, by his daughters. Um, but the original demo version is really nice. And I wish they had given that an official release. I think it's a great song. So that's all I have to say. Justin. Like Jake had said, like the depth of the the subjects covered here and like the, I know they had like lots and lots of talks while they were kind of making this album and like about different things in life and uh just different feelings and different like scenarios and i think that asher really got brian and he uh was able to kind of translate brian's thoughts uh really well to kind of a way that like everybody would kind of relate and understand kind of thing and i think that's that's a big part of this album kind of lasting all this time is uh due to those lyrics and due to the the music as well too but uh yeah i think that same thing with jake like if you had to choose between between van dyke parks and tony asher for me it's definitely tony asher just because his uh lyrics are just more relatable to me like on a personal level oh yeah for sure i i was gonna say that i, I mean i like a lot of van dyke's lyrics and I, I i like a lot of what van dyke tried to do but i think tony asher just like we've been saying it, it, these lyrics are generational in the sense that like this isn't going to be something that unlike a lot of the previous songs like the car songs and the summer songs these these are lyrics that anybody could really understand in any generation it's human emotion and it's it's something that we all get so that uh, very deep lyrics but yet also very simple and i'm going tony ash over van dyke by a mile Mm -hmm. like five miles it's not even close I, I like i said i love a lot of what van dyke did but i mean i i love pet sounds i know i ranked it third on my album ranking list but if i'm gonna be honest on my like top 20 albums it's like number like 13 14 it's it's there i i i love it that much it's incredible and a lot of it is the lyrics a lot of it's production too but a lot of it is the lyrics and um i gotta give asher a lot of credit there um 
so yeah it, that's pet sounds i i was kind of surprised that we got through that in only like 10 minutes i really thought we would have went on for like two hours but yeah um so he kind of kept working with asher and but he didn't really like his lyrics with good vibrations and um so he cut him uh kind of shocked i i mean i know he kind of maybe bluffed up some of the lyrics on that song but he cut him pretty quickly but um I gotta be honest, I didn't know they got together in the nineties. I was doing a lot of research on these guys and that's just one topic I'm surprised. Yeah, it was, so it, yeah, it was a brief thing, yeah, where they just reunited. It was him and uh him and Brian Wilson and Tony Asher and then Hal Blaine also plays drums on those tracks as well. So it was kinda like a pet sounds reunion in a way, which is kinda cool. Um and I believe that might have been like the last songs that Hal Blaine played on with, with Brian as well. Um but uh, yeah, there you should check that out for sure. It's called Everything I Need and it's got Brian, it's got carney and it's got wendy wilson on it and uh it's a really nice song even though it's just a demo version the quality of it isn't great um it's really it's really nice and i think i read something where like they were originally going to release it like that i think hal blaine said it was like such a great track and of course i think it was um oh god what's the guy's name thomas yeah joe Joe thomas Thomas, of course said uh, he was like no no this this isn't any good and i think at that point i think i read like brian would kind of just go with whatever he said and he was like yeah yeah he's right so then they ended up changing it, and the version that got an official release is nowhere near the song that it was on on in, on that demo. So, but I definitely recommend it's overdubs, it. overdubs, 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 like all the place. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. right. Yeah. Um, w- one other thing I wanted to mention with Asher, there are some funny quotes that I've read about, like his experience working with Brian. Uh, there's a quote from like after the fact, so this was like years later, I think. But he said um, about his experience working with Brian, he said. Uh, that Brian exhibited this awful taste. His choice of movies was invariably, invariably terrible. Every four hours we'd spend writing songs, there'd be about 48 hours of these dopey conversations about some dumb book he'd just read, or else he'd just go on and on about girls. And then this is the one I laugh at the most. He said uh, that his impression of Wilson was of the single most irresponsible person he had ever met, recalling that he had seen uncashed royalty checks up to $100,000 laying around Wilson's house he was further bemused by what he described as the weird relationship he maintained with Marilyn, like something out of the Flintstones. Personally, I could never understand why he married her, which if you're a Beach Boys fan and you know a bit about the history, you know that was a very odd relationship. Obviously, he had that thing going with Diane, too, where he really liked her as well. I think Tony mentioned that as well. He was like they would have like these conversations where Brian would would like talk about like. Like, I don't know which sister, which one I love more. I don't know if I like Marilyn more. Like, did I marry the right one? And it's like, it's just crazy that that tells you how, <laughs> how much of a connection they had, though, when they were writing that, like, Brian was just, like, sharing such personal information with them. So, obviously, there was a really, like, there was a deep connection there. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, Brian said he, he's going to call Smile his Teenage Symphony to God. Um, I actually think this is the Teenage Symphony to God, in my opinion. Yeah. And um, I, I do think they had a really good connection, though. I I it was a weird one, but like you can really think about it, they were together pretty much all day, every day for like a month. And um, if, even if you like, maybe it's because I worked at a summer camp and I like know like if you're with some people for like even like two weeks, you really develop a connection with them. Like these guys were like smoking like pounds of pot and like <laughs> writing songs nonstop. And I am not surprised that Asher knows Brian's taste in movies and women. Uh, so. <laughs> But uh, yeah, we kind of mentioned it. Um, good vibrations, the lyrics he, Wilson didn't like, so uh, he got Van Dyke Parks. And uh, this is gonna be a weird one because I I I know a lot about Van Dyke. I think I did the most research on him because he has such a weird career and he is such a weird person. Uh, 
<laughs> so let, let, let's just jump right into it. Um, he began his career as a child actor, of all things. And um, yeah, he, uh, he graduated high school, went to Carnegie Tech for music. Um, he did a lot on guitar, but after a while, it just became boring. So he dropped dropped out and moved to L.A. and started a band with his brother, Carson Parks, as the Steel Town 2. Um, and that's where he met David Crosby. Yet again, David Crosby being mentioned. That's not going to be the last time we talk about him. Uh, but yeah, I mean, as he kind of got more immersed in the music scene, he became more of a songwriter. Um, actually, a really fun fact is when his older brother, I think his older brother, Benjamin Parks, died, um, t- kind of to like pay back or pay respects, um, Terry Gilkinson or whatever the frick his name is, uh, had Van Dyke arrange the song Bare Necessities for Disney, which blew my mind. I'm like, holy shit. Uh, but that s- still... I kind of see it, though, definitely like a Van Dyke thing. Um, you see that later on with some of his other music. But um, as he grew as a songwriter, he became very well known for his wordplay. Um, there's a couple of songs I think that are worth mentioning. Um, Come on, Sunshine and High Coin. I personally think they're meh. But the the lyrics are, like we talked about, lots of wordplay. And Van Dyke had a really weird and very good way with words. Um, but, I mean... As he kind of went on, he became an in-demand session musician for his piano skills. And people asked him to arrange songs, and people asked him to write songs. He even was a stage performer, um, which I think is pretty cool. There's a story of him actually joining Frank Zappa and the Mothers of Invention on stage. And then after a little bit, he's like, I don't want this because I don't like the people yelling in the audience. So that kind of shows you the kind of person he was. Um, I'm not hating on him. I think he's a very cool guy. I just think he's a very, like... Also, he's like a freaking oddball. Um, uh, and part terrible. of that is because he hates the Beatles. Like, this guy is the number one hater on the Beatles. Um, I, I got I, I to pull up the quote. Um, Even he, worse he, than Joe Scarufi or whatever that guy's name is. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh my. I'll, I'll just read it. Um, it seemed to me that they would be fine in fighting spirit to take on the challenge of wrestling that trophy out of the hands of those interlopers. And he's referring to Pet Sounds. <laughs> so he is the Beatles' number one hater. Um, that's I think it's very funny because there's a couple of other quotes out there. I watched like a quick interview from like I think the mid 70s of him yep. uh, absolutely shitting on the Beatles for whatever reason. Um, but again, very Van Dyke thing to do. I mean, he's like somehow like the biggest American. I think without being like. The biggest American, if you know what I mean. Um, <laughs> like, look at Song Cycle, and he's trying to be, like, the most Americana guy. Uh, we'll get to that in a bit, but <laughs> freaking crazy dude. I-, I love him, and I think, at the same time, I think he's the biggest, like, oddball I've ever read about. Um, but, yeah, biggest hater of the Beatles. Anyways, um, besides working with Brian, because we'll get to Smile in a second, he worked with Harry Nielsen, Randy Newman, The Birds, Frank Zappa and Stephen Stills. Um, and I, I guess I get that side of the way. Um, him, he wrote a couple of songs and helped out with um, David Crosby. Uh, he played organ on the Birds album, Five Fifth Dimension, specifically on 5D. Um, and because of that, David Crosby asked him to join the Birds. And he refused. Um, later on, David Crosby asked him to join Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young. And he refused, which I think is kind of crazy because I don't know what he would have brought to the band. I think he would have fit in pretty well. 
but I don't know what he would have brought. Because if you've ever listened to Song Cycle, and you listen to a song like Vine Street, and then you listen to Our House by Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young, two wildly different things. But. Totally different, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Who knows? I think he would have been pretty cool. But uh, anyways, um, he collabed with the Beach Boys eventually. And ironically, he wasn't a big fan of them at first. He There's a quote where he says, I knew they didn't surf. Um, but he was a big <laughs> fan of the poor freshmen. <laughs> I could just hear him saying that. Like, he has such a distinct voice. I, I That's something he would definitely say. So, <laughs> so like, I knew they didn't surf. Uh, it's And then he, like, starts saying, like, crazy wordplay or something. But um, once Pet Sounds released, he was like, all right, I, I kind of get these guys. And I think he kind of saw Brian moving away from that surf sound and that summer sound they had. So I really appreciate that. But um, that's where you get that quote. It seemed to me that they would be fine in fighting spirit to take on this challenge of wrestling the trophy away from those interlopers, referring to the Beatles. So, um, there's different accounts of how they met. Um, there's one that says they may have met through David Crosby, um, but it was probably through most sources at a party with Terry Melcher. Um, but Brian um, sought out Van Dyke because he seemed enlightened. And you have to keep in mind, Brian's mental state at the time was kind of starting to go on that decline, and he kind of saw the he was doing a lot of drugs, unfortunately. So he sought out Van Dyke, who was enlightened, and uh, that's kind of how they got, they got together. Um, Van Dyke did not help out on Good Vibrations lyrics, though. He said there's nothing you can really improve on, so that's where you get Mike Love's um, collaboration on that. Um, however, Brian kind of kept with him and asked him to help out on Smile, and most of the lyrics of the songs that are finished on Smile, or at least the Beach Boys version of Smile, are by Van Dyke. Um, Surf's Up, uh, Heroes and Villains, Wonderful, Wind Chimes, Cabin Essence. So let's, uh, let's hear our thoughts on those songs in general, and especially the Van Dyke contributions. Um, well, I'll just say Van Dyke's an interesting character. He also auditioned for the Monkees, I think, which is cool. Um, really? Yeah, really. A lot of people auditioned for the Monkees. Lots of people. Harry Nielsen and Stephen Stills. Stephen, Stephen Peter Stills, Trump, yeah. Stills was friends with him. But anyway, going back to the Van Dyke stuff, um, I think some of those songs are great. The thing about Van Dyke Parks, I know we kind of talked about this earlier, is the lyrics are very, as I've said it before numerous times, word salad. They're very word salad. They're very oblique. They're very, like, kind of, you know, they go around in circles, a lot of wordplay and stuff. And I think it works best in doses. And it's certainly a bit of an acquired taste. Um... I don't know if I really like Beach Boy songs to be like that. Like, I like artists that do lyrics like that. Like, I'm a big David Bowie fan, and he has lyrics like that. I like Nirvana, and Kurt Cobain did lyrics like that. But I don't really know if it kind of fit the Beach Boy style, to be honest with you. I Like, I like a lot of those songs. Like, I like Wonderful. I like Wind Chimes. I like um, Surf's Up. I mean, I love Surf's Up. But I just don't know if it really quite fit the Beach Boys that well, if that makes sense. I like the stuff. I just don't know. I don't know. You know, I don't know if it was really... I know Mike didn't like it very much. Cabin Essence, I know he had a big issue with Cabin Essence. It was over and over. The crow cries uncovered the corn. <laughs> he hated that lyric. Um, I like the stuff, but I think it was best as maybe like a, in doses. I don't know if it would have, it should have been like, I think Smile was going too much. I think it was kind of going down this rabbit hole that I think obviously that's why it ended up getting canned. And um, yeah, so I kind of, that's kind of how I feel about it, if that makes sense. I know I kind of have a lot of thoughts about it. A little bit of rambly. Oh, yeah. Jake. 
Yeah, you know, I don't, I, I kind of, what you said, Matt, like uh, his lyrics are an acquired taste for sure. Uh, I think some of them work really well. I think like Surf's Up is probably his greatest set of lyrics. Again, I still don't know what the hell they're talking about, but like it works well for sure. And I it, like, it, I feel like it creates, like I've said this before, it creates like a mood, like the words create this, like this feeling um, that that really enhances the song. Um but yeah, I kind of what you were saying, uh, Matt, it's definitely only works in doses, I feel like. And I do kind of get Mike's. Like, I know what we like to people like to portray Mike as like the big villain of the Beach Boys. But like, I don't know, I kind of get where he was coming from, like, especially when you consider like it really I understand. I know like Pet Sounds had come out, you know, like just before this, which had like more deep introspective lyrics. But like you have to remember, like it really wasn't that long ago that the Beach Boys were still just doing songs about girls and surfing in cars. Um and, you know, at least with Pet Sounds, those lyrics, people could relate to them. I know Pet Sounds, you know, didn't sell quite as as well as some of their previous albums, but you could say, like, people could relate to them um, on, like, an emotional level. Where, like, with Smile, I really think it was, like, those lyrics are kind of out there, and I kind of see Mike's issue with them. That, like, you know, only a couple of years before, they're doing lyrics about love and romance and girls, and now we're doing, like, this really kind of out there wordplay, word salad type lyrics where, like half the stuff you don't even know what they're talking about so um yeah i mean van dyke's an interesting character obviously he played a big role in the beach boys around this time with the with the lyrics on smile obviously which is a beloved album um but uh yeah i don't have too much else to say about him i think my favorite van dyke parks fact is the fact that he plays uh accordion on kokomo i think that's just hilarious that like this dude that's deeply involved in smile and like all this like complex music is also on freaking kokomo i just think that's the funniest thing but yeah yeah Something on Summer in Paradise too. Yeah, yeah. Lahir Aloha, he plays accordion. Yeah. yeah. Mike apparently still asked him what the hell Cavanesses means. Still, thirty, almost thirty years later, Mike still can't get out of his head. Um, yeah, that's that's he, funny. He didn't like uh, Columnated Ruins Domino either. I think he was like perplexed by that one too. And that was one where like yeah, like Mike was like grilling him on it, and he's like. I don't know what it means either. And Mike's like, what do you mean you don't know what it means? Like, explain it. And then that, that's when, like, Van Dyke started realizing, like, he's like, I'm, like, there's a lot of tension being caused by me, like, being involved with this, you know, and I don't want to create tension within this band. So that's kind of, like, that's part of the reason the project completely fell apart. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I don't have too much else more to say about Van Dyke. Was he trying to do, like, cut-up lyrics, or was he just, like, trying to just do wordplay? Yes. Yes. <laughs> Both? <laughs> Justin. You guys know what kind of lyrics are, right? Like we yeah. take the thing and you cut and you like, yeah, you rearrange it. Sounds like it to me. It's random, yeah. I can see why Brian would be attracted to to Van Dyke, especially in the 1966, 1967, LA, uh, kind of the drug scene, all these parties he's going to. Like he he met Danny Hutton at that point as well too from Three Dog Nights. Uh, he was hanging out with like some of the turtles. I know. Uh, uh, Mark Volman and uh, Flo and Eddie, they're called. Um, yeah, so just like he had like this group of people around him that were like really into drugs and like really into partying. And uh, you meet all these sort of weird characters, but they're kind of intriguing too, you know? Like I can understand why Brian would be kind of attracted to that type of a person to kind of like, oh, maybe we can make something different with this person. Maybe we can make some sort of new sound or new art or new uh direction we could go into that that really excited him at that point so i can see why he, why he would choose van dyke for that but i think like the other guys said like for a whole album that's a little bit too much um i think if van dyke contributed some of the lyrics and then 
Mike contributed some of the lyrics or Tony Asher contributed some of the lyrics, like it would have been a better uh, thing, like in order to relate to like the typical person. And I think that's part of the reason why Smile is kind of shelved too, because like you have all these like weird lyrics, you have these weird backing tracks. And I, I remember reading an, an article, uh, I can't remember where it was from with Brian, uh, mentioning that uh, some of the songs were like so hard to sing over with the lyrics, like it, it wouldn't fit kind of thing. And that's part of the reason why he kind of just grew frustrated with it and, and shelved it. So I think if they would have, had a little bit more simple lyrics for a lot of the songs it would have been uh, a little bit better that's my opinion though yeah i um i mean i i gotta admit i do like a lot of his lyrics i mean they definitely roll off the tongue pretty good uh i think they're very articulate i like, I like a lot of the alliteration um and i like a lot of the wordplay i i think it just for smile it definitely kind of led to its collapse in some way um Although I got to give Van Dyke credit, um, he saw that the band was starting to kind of like infight a bit, and he knew that he should leave. And I think that ultimately, though, it did lead to the collapse of Smile because Brian didn't really have somebody to rely on for their lyrics, and um, kind of everything kind of went downhill from there. Yeah, I mean, there's like a billion things going on at once with that project, and it, it, ahead of its time, but also just too much going on, and uh, it led to the collapse. So um, after that. After he left, it, surprisingly, it wasn't really Brian leaving the collaborator. It was Van Dyke's leaving Brian, which is kind of new for him. So <laughs> after a while, um, Van Dyke eventually kind of made his own solo album, Song Cycle. And I listened to it for maybe the fifth time today, trying to finally have it <laughs> click with me in some way. Find, hopefully it would click. And it didn't. Um <laughs> I think it's Van Dyke trying to be too sophisticated, but at the same time, also too much of a hippie at once. And it doesn't click for, like, period. It, I, I, there are parts of it that I like, but the way that he structured the album was so fucking weird. Because um, instead of it being, like, song by song, even though the songs are labeled, it's really just, like, 45 seconds for one song, and then you transition to the next. But each song is so damn weird. Like, I, I there's... <laughs> Nothing melodically going on there for me. I don't know. Have you guys ever listened to it? Like, yeah, that's, yeah. I, I listened to it a long, long time ago, and that's pretty much what I remember. Like, not a lot of melodic stuff going on, and that's my issue with that. I I have a hard time connecting. I, I mean, I'm not gonna say it's for every song, but I mean, a lot of songs and albums that I love have some melody to them, some some melodic things going on, and yeah, I just remember it was a lot of wordplay and. I'm not a huge fan of his voice, and uh, I'm just—it's just not a favorite favorite album of mine by any means. I think it's a tough album to get through all the way, honestly. Um, I don't really plan. On, I mean, I guess I'll probably listen to it again sometime soon since we are talking about it, just to see if it if it's grown on me a little. But from what I remember, there was nothing about it that I really particularly enjoyed. So. I've never listened to it, but based on what you guys say, and based on me reading the Wikipedia article where it says he spent. $35,000 on this thing in in 1967 money, which was over three and a half times the budget. It sounds like he was just spending money trying to make it sound weird. That's what it sounds like to me. <laughs> spending too much money just trying to make it sound different and not enough time spent on like trying to make it melodic. Which yeah. is yeah. interesting. Kind of sounds like Prince's first album, actually. Justin, any thoughts on Song Cycle? I've never, I've never heard it, but... Uh... Like I mentioned, like it's just it was the hippie kind of culture back then. Like I, I can understand why we don't really understand it today, but 
maybe at that time it made sense to do that. I, I'm not sure because I wasn't around at that time, but um, there's a lot of really weird albums from that period from like 1966, 67, uh, even into 68. There's a lot of like weird psychedelic albums. I, 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 I told Jake this. I think it's the most Van Dyke Park thing you could ever <laughs> listen to. <laughs> like everything is Van Dyke. Like think of his lyrics and then make those lyrics transform somehow into music. And that's what it is. Is Van Dyke's lyrics as music with Van Dyke lyrics. So Yeah, I think I will you s- Yeah. You think, no, I think didn't you say when you when you uh told me that you said uh it's uh it's like Van Dyke's Love You, which I thought was funny. Yeah, it is Van Dyke's there you Love You. <laughs> I, I will say, like, I, I'm shitting. I'm, I think we're all a little bit, but me specifically are like shitting on Van Dyke. I, I think he's still a pretty cool guy. I, I, yeah. I, I, I definitely like. I like a lot of where his mind is, except for the Beatles comment. But I, I, I do appreciate that. And he actually, um, later on in the '70s, he did have a pretty decent album called Discover America that I like. Um, I, it's one of those Met albums. There's a couple of good tracks on there, but other than that, I mean, I don't come back to it too much. But acapella is pretty good i think i sent that to jake it whereas deals with a lot of like caribbean calypso music and it's actually a lot of to be fair it's because van dyke's not writing the melodies to these songs he's adapting a lot of songs from calypso music and caribbean music and um arranging them and kind of adding his own like spots here and there and uh, he wasn't uh, selfish he didn't take any credit for any of the songwriting so i, I gotta give him credit there pretty good album i don't know if you guys li- have listened to it um, it's called Discover America. I definitely recommend listening to it at least once. It's pretty damn good in some spots. So, um, there is a story of Van Dyke in the 70s with Brian writing Holland. Um, he did contribute to A Day in the Life of the Tree. I think we talked about that a little bit in the last episode. But there's a funny story when um, Holland was coming out and uh, they needed a lead-off single because they didn't have one. It was kind of already like... and. Uh, Brian uh, needed to write the single, and um, so he started working on a sail on Sailor, and Van Dyke's with him. I kind of forget the reason why, but the the, the story goes as uh, Van Dyke's working with him, and Brian's like, hypnotize me and tell me I'm not crazy, and then Van Dyke is like, write the fucking song, <laughs> which has always stuck with me. I, that's one of those things, and I love Holland, so I, I, I do like Van Dyke, and I really like Jack Riley, and I, I like Sail on Sailor. I think it's a pretty damn good song. I don't know how much Van Dyke actually contributed to it, though. Um, there's, like, five songwriters on that. So I don't know really where it was. So, I'm Sail on Sailor. Good song. Now, from, from what he said, he, uh, I think Van Dyke has said he contributed a decent amount. Like It sounds like yeah. either, I forget if he said it was, like, the verses or the chorus. I forget which part, but he definitely made it sound like he contributed a decent bit. Um, but like you said, there are a lot of collaborators on that song. It's like four or five different guys, so a lot of people involved besides just Brian. So, so there's there's Tendon Almer. Uh, he didn't do anything at all on that <laughs> song, but his name is on there because he uh, got, scored drugs for Brian. Oh, oh yeah, <laughs> Brian. Yeah, Brian put his oh, name wow. on there for that. That's yeah, hilarious. Yeah. And I think oh, Ray yeah. Kennedy, Ray Kennedy, and Jack Riley wrote the lyrics. Jack Riley wrote a couple lines, and Ray Kennedy wrote a lot of a lot of the lyrics. So Brian basically did what Bob Marley did for No Woman, No Cry. He just gave him the credit just because. Yeah. I mean, Bob Marley yeah, yeah. did, like, the soup kitchen. But, like, this he just gave it to him because he got him drugs. Interesting. Yeah. Well, one uh, thing I will say, though, about Van Dyke is in the 70s, um, 
that he did that was really good was he was a cheerleader for the band and he really kind of helped them when they were kind of struggling and he had ties at warner brothers that really uh because he was working for them at that point too he was audio visual uh um a r at that point so uh he had like really good connections with mo austin and some of the other guys that were there and uh kind of really helped them and and i think warner brothers didn't treat them as brutally as they would have without van dyke's without van dyke parks there so that's my um, opinion looking at sail on sailor i mean i can kind of see where van dyke um contributed i mean i could totally be wrong but i rest the waters like as in like wrestling the waters w-r-e-s-t um fight neptune's waters i mean that 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 sounds like something van dyke would write with the kind of that word salad kind of vibe so uh yeah i mean he definitely contributed the song but he seems to be like a very open-minded guy um i mean i know you don't care for ai matt but van dyke actually supported day limbs for his version of smile um i mean i didn't listen to it i don't really want to listen to a full album of ai i mean i like dabbling here and there with some of it but van dyke gave words of encouragement so he seems like a very open-minded guy and i give i gotta give him credit for that um he had a little bit of a comeback in the 80s i mean not really a huge one with a uh, jump i it's basically like you know like those like seven early 60s 70s uh disney movies soundtracks that's kind of what it sounds like it's it's pretty decent i don't think it's terrible but not one i'd give a listen it's not on streaming so i had to like really search for it but not bad um but i really want to talk about orange crate art i i enjoyed that album a lot it's in the 90s parks and brian um got together uh parks said it was because i mean with the smile project collapsing and their their collaboration kind of went down in history as a failure and you want to kind of like get back at it um i enjoy parts of it i kind of the same with uh discover america it's just a decent album um tracks i like tracks i don't really care for i don't think there's anything like truly bad on it um i definitely like the vibe he was going for parks really likes to dabble in that americana and uh like american historical vibe which i really gel with um the title check is pretty good that that that's a good one uh, but have you guys ever listened to orange grid art uh it's been a long time uh, i think i have but it's been a really long time so i can't really comment too much on it i just remember when i listened to it nothing really stick with me so um but I'll, I'll have to give it another listen i don't want to like say anything bad about it in case i listen to it and then i'm like oh shit i kind of like this but from what i remember um i, I nothing really stuck with me so Van Dyke wrote most of the material on there, right? So Van Dyke wrote all the material on it. Brian just sang. Okay, got it. Well, you see that? Uh, that that's like a red flag for me. I don't know. Oh, After, like, it's song not like Song Cycle. Don't worry. It's okay, not okay. like Song Cycle. <laughs> all right. I'll give, it a, I'll give it a listen soon. Actually, fairly good. I'll have to give it a listen too. But I will say one quick thing about go back to the AI real quick. I'm okay with it if somebody approves of it. I just don't like it when it's like people are doing it and then like, if the person doesn't give approval, that's just what I find kind of funky. I don't know. It is what it is. Yeah. The, yeah. the, the smile thing, basically what he did, I haven't listened to the whole thing either, but he basically like kind of filled in the blanks for like parts of the songs that weren't complete. Um, I think the more like part, I, I think some people kind of have an issue with, with what he did from what I've read is he kind of just like completely altered some songs, like from their original form. Like, I think he like changed the ending of surfs up from what I remember. And I didn't, I think I heard that and I didn't really like it um but uh yeah i'm i'm kind of with you matt like if somebody approves of it for sure i don't have an issue with it and i don't really have a huge issue with it in general i kind of just view it as like a curiosity thing where like 
you put it on just to hear like let's see what this could have sounded like um in like an alternate dimension where like this had been recorded by you know like like there was one recently uh where they took a song that dennis never laid a vocal down for and they put a dennis 70s vocal over it um and obviously you know it's not actually dennis singing it it's just ai but like it's kind of cool to hear like this is what this could have sounded like so i i don't really have a huge issue with ai it's just uh i can see why some people do though it's definitely kind of a gray area for sure i thought it also sounded really bad too some of it is horrible it sounds like when it's not it's, done well, it's 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 really rough, and that's where I can see it being disrespectful. But when it's done really well by people that actually genuinely support the art and and like the music, I I think it can be pretty cool. But okay. Jake, you and I have the same exact thoughts on AI. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Justin, did you listen to Orange Credit Art? Yeah, when it first came out, uh, I remember at the time. I think it was ninety ninety five. Is that when it the year it came out? Ninety five. Uh, at the time, it was like seen as like this big comeback for Brian, and uh, I think he did a special around this point too. Um, was it around this point? I can't remember, but uh, yeah, I, I, a couple of times in '95, I heard it, and then that was it. I haven't heard it since then. It was, it didn't really stick with me, like Jake said. Um, yeah. Oh, I kind of expected a little bit more, but yeah, yeah. yeah sorry, uh, sorry about that. <laughs> no. I mean, you're like, oh, I was there when it came out. Okay. <laughs> yeah, well, it was it was seen as kind of like a comeback for Brian because he hadn't really put anything out for quite a time, quite a while. So uh, it was kind of cool to see his name again. And like when you're browsing through the CDs and the CD rack and the music store, it's kind of cool to see his name again and to see Van Dyke beside his name. But uh, yeah, I listened to it a couple times. I didn't really connect with it unfortunately oh yeah i i think i'm hyping it up too much it's not it's like it's like maybe like a two and a half out of five star album but it's it's got parts of it i like it's it's nothing like crazy special um it was very much overhyped and i kind of feel like that kind of led to like it being not perceived as well um there is a funny story though where um brian's like van dyke why am i here and then van dyke's like because i can't stand the sound of my own voice and brian's like that makes sense all right take one and uh, I thought that was pretty funny. That's a very Brian moment. Remember that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I do, I do that. want to give that a shout-out. Um, and next couple of years, nothing much happened. And then Brian's like, all right, I'm going to finish Smile. And uh, I think that was kind of huge because uh, initially um, he was working with Darian, who I, I love Darian, at least like especially his like relationship with Brian. Um, right. And then they couldn't read uh, one of the lyrics on the lyric sheets, so they faxed van or called van dyke and they faxed it over and van dyke's like is uh oh it's this and then eventually they're like they gave call they gave a call to van dyke and van dyke agreed to come back as a full lyricist which is awesome um like i said before like i i, I like smile um i think it's very cool i it's probably like in my top 15 maybe like i think it's like number 11 i think i said um but i it, i'm not a I don't think it's like I think it's a little overhyped. I don't want to say overrated. It's definitely a little overhyped. But um, I did, for Brian, I think it's huge that he was able to finish that, and Van Dyke was a huge part on that. Um, there's a story. I mean, it's not really much of a story. It's just an actual event. Um, Van Dyke came on for the for the for initial concert for Smile. Um, he came on stage for the standing ovation, which was 10 minutes, and he was crying. So I, I think that kind of shows how like. It affected Smile definitely affected Brian, but it definitely also affected Van Dyke in some way where he didn't finish it. So I think that's huge. Do you guys have any like quick thoughts on uh Brian Wilson presents Smile? Um, I like kind of like it because it's like actually finished. 
And uh, it's kind of interesting to hear Brian's later voice on it. Um, kind of hear it, you know, and like it's a bit more fleshed out. Like I also like was it like I want to be around. No, that wasn't on like the Beach Boys version. And then on a holiday, I don't think that was on the Beach Boys version either, right? No, I don't think it was. Um, like at least not with the lyrics. So um, I kind of like it. It's, it's nice to hear it fleshed out. And I know that that basically became the backbone of what the Smile Sessions became. They based it off of Brian Wilson Presents Smile because obviously Smile was never finished. Um, and that's kind of interesting. They gave a 10-minute ovation. That's like the stuff they do at Cannes. <laughs> I don't know how you can clap for 10 minutes, but sure. Yeah, I don't have too many uh, comments on it because it's another album I haven't listened to in a while. The Brian Wilson Presents Smile. Um uh, it's like you said, man, it's cool that they did, that they did finish it. And, you know, Brian had, you know, this has been such a, a revered album for years. It was like the, the most famous unreleased album, you know? So the fact that he was able to actually like get together and, and finish it was cool. Um, I've heard people say that their issue with it is the fact that like, it's Brian's older voice on it and it's lacking like the original Beach Boys harmonies on that. And from what I remember, I do kind of remember kind of thinking that too, like, you know, I do, I do prefer like a lot of the Smile Sessions versions of, of these songs for sure. Um, which I think is, I think that's like a fair point. I feel like, like, it's cool hearing Brian, like sing the songs, like in his older age, but I do prefer the songs with their younger voices. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I've, I've kind of said this before, like smile as a whole, isn't my favorite album. Um, like, I think I understand the appreciation for it. Um, but like, I'm definitely like, I've said this before between like pet sounds and smile, I'm definitely pet sounds all the way. So, uh, but you know, smile obviously has some great highlights on it. Some amazing songs, some of the best songs the, the guys ever did. And, um, it's cool that Brian was able to finish it. So. Justin. I think for me, it's more the fact that this album was actually finished than it is the results that we got with this album. Um, I think see, Brian's seeing it finished or like getting through that process of finishing the album did more for him than anything else at the time. Um, and having Van Dyke also be a part of it as well, too, kind of like helping him along really helped. Uh, not really a huge fan of this specific version of it. I actually like the Beach Boys harmonies, like Jake had mentioned. Uh, these guys do great, great job. Darian and, and the guys, like they do a great job. They sang the correct parts and everything, but it's just the magic isn't there compared to with the Wilson brothers and Mike Love and Al Jardine. Like it's, it's the blend of their voices together. That's what makes them the Beach Boys. That's why when you hear like a, a karaoke or not karaoke, like a, a tribute band and it'll never sound exactly the same as the real band never it's the blend of their voices together that's the beach boys yeah it's it's this it, it would be like you i feel like you could say that for a lot of their albums like if you if they did like a recreation of pet sounds years later it would be the same thing like it needs those beach boys harmonies on it for you know for it to really have that magic like you said like that's really like what makes their song so like unique and special is like beyond the songwriting itself, it's the harmonies, it's the vocal blend, you know? Um, and without that, it definitely lacks something. So, um, but, but yeah, I, I, like I said, though, I, and like you said, it's cool. He was able to finish it. I'm glad that, you know, he can kind of check that box and, and be satisfied with that because obviously it had been a, a project that he was really committed to, to doing. And then, you know, it just didn't work out uh, at the time. So um, yeah. Yeah. I, I totally prefer smile sessions. Like even I like yeah. instrumentals and I honestly think some of them work better as instrumentals anyways. Um, yeah, I don't, I think the last time I actually listened to Brian Wilson's present smile before I re-listened to it was, uh, like a, two years ago, like 
badly mastered too on the CD. It's really loud, in my opinion. Whereas, like, I feel like the Smile Session sounds better, at least in yeah, the digital. Yeah. I don't have either on vinyl. I'm not spending $150 on them on vinyl, but I just find that Brian was. How much did I told you? Yeah, because I think they're both out of print. Um, Brian was really small. I just find kind of sounds kind of harsh on digital to me. At least it's a little overly loud. Yeah, I um, crap, man, I forgot what I was gonna say. I do want to get the Smile Sessions box set. I, I'm gonna have to like scour either Discogs or e- eBay for that, just for the poster alone. But it, it looks really freaking cool. Like it has a freaking light up box. Light up. It's cool. It's cool. We're gonna talk a little bit about that lucky old son. I know Brandeis helped with some of the uh. The spoken yeah, yeah. Word, which yeah, um, he did the interludes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Another album, man, it's all right. I, I don't I think it's crazy. That. I love that album. I think it's an awesome album. I just the unfortunate thing is the presence of Scott Bennett, but uh, I think the album itself is wonderful. It's got some great tunes on it. I want to get it on vinyl. I love it. I think it's a great record. I gotta listen to it again. I I didn't yeah. listen to it from video. Yeah, I mean, I, I've said this uh, to to one of you, I think you, Riley, I told you, but, like, I've never been, like, I wouldn't say, like, Brian has a solo album that, like, I really love all the way through, where I'm like, oh, this is, like, a perfect album. I don't think he has one for me, but that album, to me, is his best latter-day record. I think there's some really good songs on it. Midnight's Another Day is, like, a beautiful ballad. I absolutely love that one. I love the lyrics on it. I love uh, just the overall sound of it. Like, it, it's one of those songs that shows, like, you know, Brian, like he did, he's still got that genius, you know, that songwriting in him, you know, he can still write a song that freaking good at that, that age. And that was kind of like how I viewed some of the songs on, um, uh, that's why God made the radio too. It's like the fact that like, you know, he was over 70 years old when, when he wrote those songs is incredible. Um, and, uh, yeah, there were a couple of, I'm trying to remember, it's been a long time since I've listened to, uh, that album, I'm trying to think what other songs I liked. Um, uh i think forever she'll be my surfer girl i kind of liked um there's one other one too towards the end i forgot what it's called but i like that one too i think it's called southern southern california i like that one i like too. those are the same yeah i love good kind of love too i really like that yeah. one yeah i like mexican girl too it's like light up my son i really like the whole record i think the whole record is very breezy very fun i think it's a it's got kind of got like a nice theme to it to an extent i just, just said unfortunately the presence of scott bennett Kind of soured it a little bit, but eh. If I can listen to Layla and it has a murder on it, I can listen to this. <laughs> weird, weird album cover, by the way. I don't like the album cover very much. I think it could have been a much better cover than what it is. Yeah, it's not the greatest. <laughs> but I like the music, so I don't care what cover it's wrapped in. That's fair. I feel like there's a lot of Beach Boys album covers that they're like very hit or miss. I like a lot of them, but I also like don't like a lot of them. But like. The poop brown on today. I mean, I hated it at first, but then as like I really today's my favorite album. So I mean, my band. So I, I kind of got, I kind of warmed up to it, but it still doesn't look good. It's very very sixties. It's very nineteen sixty five. Yeah. I'm surprised they didn't call it Beach Boy sixty five because Capital kept calling everything sixty five around that time. <laughs> I think Brian probably stepped in on that, or at least one of the bands like people did so yeah that's 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 the collaborators yeah that's part that's part one for the collaborators uh we are going to do a second part of this in the future um probably in the in the coming weeks where we're going to continue and go on from like 68 to the end so uh it's going to be interesting to share talk about a lot of those guys you have uh like jack riley obviously made some uh, interesting some really cool lyrical contributions to some of their early 70s albums 
Uh, Dennis worked with some several significant collaborators. We can talk about them, guys like uh, Greg Jacobson and some of those guys. So we're going to talk about them as well. So there's a lot more, a lot. To, and I'm looking forward to doing that. So uh, thank you, everybody, for listening to this eighth episode of Good Timing. I hope you all enjoyed the show. I uh, had a great time talking with you guys about all the different collaborators that Brian and the Beach Boys worked with from the early to mid-60s. And I'm looking forward to picking up on this discussion soon and talking about the band's many other collaborators. So, uh, as always, if those of you listening like this podcast and want to hear more, feel free to subscribe or follow wherever you're listening. Uh, we greatly appreciate the support as it motivates us to make more episodes in the future. Uh, also, as a reminder, the podcast is available on YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. So, uh, there's plenty of different ways to listen and keep up with the show. So, uh, thank you again for listening, and we will see you all next time. Bye. <laughs>